This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Last fall, we were in the market for a new bicycle for our five-year-old daughter. And of course, we didn't want to pay full price at the department store for said bicycle. And we started with Craigslist and were very disappointed by what we didn't find here in the western suburbs on Craigslist. And so we were ta talking to a friend about this. And this friend said, hey, do you know there's a Facebook page called Wheaton Moms and Families? And some of you know what that is, apparently. Everyone, I think, knows what that is. And so we did check out this Facebook page, and we found this wonderful bicycle for a really great price, but that wasn't the best of it. The best part of this was I felt like Lucy in the wardrobe falling into Narnia, like I had stumbled into this secret portal of the very inner workings of the city of Wheaton and the western suburbs. This mysterious place where you ask a question, and all of a sudden, 12 people post an answer to that question because they automatically know what you're talking about or what you're asking about. It's amazing. It's kind of like feeding the birds at the park. You throw a piece of bread, and they just converge on it out of nowhere. So if you want to know where to go to eat, where to send your kids for swimming lessons, where to get your car fixed, where to get your roof repaired, if you're wondering about some parenting advice or anything, ask the Wheaton moms and families. And as I was preparing for preaching today on Psalm 84, I wondered, what if we asked this group, where do we find God's presence? Where do we look for it? Where can we find it? I'm sure since this is Wheaton, we'd get a lot of good Christian responses. And I'm also sure that we would get other responses like, well, just look inside yourself because God's in you. Or look in the universe. God's in the universe. Or look at Wrigley Field. God's in Wrigley Field. <laughs> Psalm 84 is written by the sons of Korah. And we know from First Chronicles that these were the men who were responsible for the singing and the instrumentation in the household of God. They were the choir directors. They were the orchestra directors. And so they knew something about God's presence. And if, if we asked them where we find God's presence, they would have a very specific answer. Psalm 84, if we look at how it's broken down, and even looking in your bulletin, you can see that it falls into three different stanzas or sections, and each of these sections has its own main idea. And each of these sections also contains the word blessed. Now, this is not hashtag blessed on Instagram from people taking pictures on their fancy yachts and their luxury vacations. As Deacon Steve taught us two weeks ago from Psalm 1, this idea of blessedness has more to do with being completely satisfied and filled in and with and in the presence of God. And so this is going to be really important as we journey through Psalm 84, these three key places where that idea of blessedness comes into play. So where do we find God's presence? Let's let the sons of Korah lead the way for us this morning. If you open your, either your bulletin or your Bible this morning to Psalm 84, we're going to be looking at this together in each of the three movements. And the first thing we learn in Psalm 84 is that place matters. 
place matters. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 and either underline or circle or make a mental note of the nouns of place that you hear. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Verse 1, place. Verse 2, courts. Verse 3, home, nest. Verse 4, house. All words that note a place. In our culture, we actually tend to devalue place, especially with technology. Now we can work wherever we have Wi-Fi, wherever we have a hotspot. We can turn anywhere into an office. Place doesn't really matter as much as it used to. In fact, this might be symptomatic of a larger devaluing in our minds of matter altogether. But there's still part of us, I think, that's dissatisfied with a lack of a place. Something in us says, no, place does matter. And in our view as Christ followers, a sacramental view of the world, as we're often reminded here, matter matters. And because of that, place matters. We need to look no further than the pages of Scripture to see that place matters because God chose to reveal Himself in and through matter, in and through place. And this is why we even long, like verse 2, to come to the courts of the Lord to praise. The word faint there in verse 2 actually is used in other places describing grass withering. Have you ever longed for a place like that, like grass is withering away? You're just oh, I, I need to be there. I want to be there. I can't wait to get back to that place. That's the picture there. Why does place matter, though? First, I think place gives us a sense of permanence. And in such a, a transitory culture that we live in where there's so much movement from one place to another, we long to have something that we can anchor our lives to, something that lasts, something that outlives us and outlasts us. I think of the early years when I was teaching uh, in a college classroom, I, I would often have freshmen and sophomores in those classes in the early years. And you know, by the time you're juniors and seniors, you're maybe too, a little too cool for this, but freshmen and sophomores seem to be really proud of where they live, where they come from, especially South Jersey and Texas. They seem to be extra proud. But there's something about place that anchors us and gives us a sense of stability even in times of turbulence. Place matters. It also takes a place to make a people. We call ourselves by geographical locations, Americans, Australians, Nigerians, Britons, Brazilians. Midwesterners, we can make it even more specific. And with all of these comes a specific identity 
There's something that this place says about us. Even last week, as I was looking at a, a Facebook post of a friend who is now overseas, this friend sought out and met with a couple of other Americans overseas to celebrate Independence Day. And they went out and they had burgers and fries, because that's what you do to celebrate Independence Day. But we can't shake these rituals that are so dear to us that, that remind us of the connection that we have to the place where we're from, the place that makes us a people. These are the reasons why place matters. For Israel, there was a particular place that marked them out. Their whole life was given meaning by this place, and this place was the temple. And we're going to come back to this in just a few minutes and talk about why this place mattered so much to them. But we see in verse 4 here that blessed are those who dwell in your house, that's the temple, ever singing your praise, fully satisfied, living the good life. This is how he describes people who are in the temple. But they're not the only ones who are blessed. Notice that in the very next verse, that word happens again, and we see that blessed are those who are on their way to Zion. Let's read it. Verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. See, for most Israelites, they didn't live in the temple. Only the Levites and the priests and some others lived in the temple, and not even that many lived in Jerusalem. Most of them lived far away, such that even getting to one of the three pilgrimage feasts in the year was hard. And so this brings us to point two. First, place matters, but second, pilgrimage is the present reality. Pilgrimage is the present reality. That was their life. It was going to and looking for and longing for the place where the Lord was especially present. And I think we as Christians can identify because this life of pilgrimage is actually our reality now as well. We're living between two resurrections. Jesus has already risen from the dead, hallelujah, but we have not experienced our resurrection yet. There's this already and not yet tension in God's kingdom that we as pilgrims live with, and we talk about it every week when we recite the creed. We look for the resurrection of the dead. We long for the time when God again fills and restores, brings everything into harmony in the place that He intended for it. We get our resurrection bodies then, and we long for that time. But for now, we're pilgrims living between these two resurrections. Let's read verse 6 and 7. As these pilgrims go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Baca in Hebrew means balsam trees. And these balsam trees grew in really, really dry, really arid regions. And so you can imagine being a pilgrim traveling from your home to Jerusalem through a really dry place would be a difficult journey. 
But this word baka also sounds really close to the Hebrew word for tears. And actually, this is one of the reasons why in the Greek translation of the Old Testament that most of the early Christians used, it was actually translated the valley of tears. But why is it so sad? Why a valley of tears? There's a story that was told in 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles about the neighbors to the west of Israel, the Philistines. And they came and they plundered the crops of the Israelites. And this was a day of sorrow, deep sadness for the people. And you can imagine then the people on pilgrimage coming through this place years later saying, this is the place. Do you remember that? Do you remember that time when they came and they took all that we had? But yet, it becomes a place of springs for them. This place of dryness, this place of tears becomes an oasis flowing with water because they find their strength in the Lord. In fact, when we know how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, we'll walk through that valley of weeping, and it can become for us a place of springs of water. This word at the end of verse 6, pools, it's actually a wordplay. It can also be translated blessings. And so this difficult journey, this difficult pilgrimage through the work of the Lord actually becomes a time of blessing for the pilgrim people. When I think of the lives of these pilgrims, I think of my dad, who in his mid-20s was, had a couple of successful businesses, he had one child, me, at the time. And he, around 1980 or so, started to lose his eyesight in one eye, and he went to the doctors. They couldn't really figure out what was going on, and before he knew it, he couldn't see at all out of the one eye, and then the eyesight in the other eye began to decline as well, to the point that by 1981, he couldn't see anything. And so he's sitting in a hospital bed in Madison, Wisconsin. Researchers can't figure out. That's one of the best hospital research hospitals in the world. Don't know what's going on. He's lost his businesses. He's lost many of his friends. He's lost a sense of identity, the things that he did that really brought him meaning and purpose. And it's then that he called out to the Lord. And the Lord met him, and the Lord gave him a new identity, and he gave him a new calling. But you know what? It's still been 40 years, almost 40 years, since he's seen his wife. The last time he saw me, I was a toddler. He's never seen his other two sons or any of his grandkids. He's prayed for his healing. Others, many others have prayed for his healing. He's waiting. Pilgrimage is his reality. I think that many of you know what this reality is like, too, as pilgrims. Whether it's a physical condition, a physical illness, degenerative disease like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, caring for aging parents, caring for children with developmental disabilities, dealing with unemployment or underemployment, raising a child by yourself, or just really being tired, worn out, exhausted. You know this life of pilgrimage because pilgrimage is our reality now. 
The interesting thing about this pilgrim life is that joy doesn't erase the sorrow. And in a really weird way for us, joy and sorrow coexist. It's still called the Valley of Tears. And that's what pilgrim space looks like. One day, we do have the promise that every tear will be wiped away from every eye. The end of the book of Revelation tells us that. But until then, we hold both sorrow and joy together. There's springs of joy in the valley of tears. Notice here that the psalmist doesn't rename the, the Baca Valley. I imagine teams of communication experts and PR departments coming together around a table and saying, you know what, we've done some focus groups on Baca, and really it has this negative vibe with the people. So let's kind of get rid of the negativity and let's do a rebrand, a rebrand. I got, the, I got this. We're going to rebrand this Baca Valley into, into the Victory Valley. Let's do the Victory Valley. Then people will think, this is the place where we meet the Lord, and they'll forget about all the bad things. But that's not what happens. Because God doesn't rebrand. He does something better. He redeems way better than rebranding. God doesn't rebrand. He redeems the Baca, the place of tears. He says, it's in this valley of tears, and I'm the one who can make the valley of tears a place of joy and springs of living water for you. So place matters, yes. Pilgrimage is our present reality, but then we come to this point that God's presence is everything. God's presence is everything. Let's read here in verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. God's presence is everything. He's described as the sun, the one who gives light and life and energy to all living things. He's a shield. He's the protector. He grants favor or grace. He grants honor or glory, and he is one who gives. And here we find this last time again, blessed. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Whether that person is in the very presence of God in the temple, whether that person is on pilgrimage to God, blessed is the one who trusts, the one who lives this fully satisfied, living the good life with God, blessed. Can you see then how the response in verse 4 is praise? How he can't help but ever sing the praise of the Lord. And why in verse 2 there's such a longing to get back to this place? Think of the place that you thought about earlier, the place of longing, that, and it almost felt like your grass withering away so you get back to that place. Can you see why they would think of the temple in this way? It's almost like the psalmist is saying, 
guys, I've discovered the very source of life, and the closer and closer you get to this source, the better and better life is going to be. Sometimes I get stuck on lesser joys. Joys they are, but lesser joys. I might say better is another day at the lake. I might say better is another cup of really, really good coffee brewed at the right temperature in the right kind of way. Others might say better is one more day at the gym, better is one more day on vacation, better is one more episode on Netflix, just one more, just one more, and then I'll stop. These are all good things and can be good things if they don't take up all of our allegiance and attention and affections. But we know that our affections are rightly ordered when we can say better is one day in your presence, one day with you, than thousands doing these other things. I think of a scale, an old-fashioned scale of balances where we could add up all these good things that we find joy in that God has even given to us as good gifts, but they're nothing compared with the weight and wonder and goodness of the very presence of the Lord where we can say better is one day with you than thousands anywhere else. Some of us in the room this morning can't say that, but let me assure you that that's not entirely wrong or bad. Because what, one way that we could frame our journey of faith is it's from going from not believing that at all to completely and fully believing and embodying that reality. And most of us are somewhere in the middle on this of every day believing more and more that, yeah, man, better is one day with the Lord, with His people, and in His presence than any of these other things as good as they are. God's presence is everything. For the psalmist, there's no confusion about where to find God's presence either. Now, if I ask the Wheaton Moms and Families Facebook group about where I should go to eat, boy, that one gets a ton of responses, by the way. You're going to get lots of different opinions. Go here, go here, go here. There's confusion. Where should I go if I'm hungry? There's nothing worse than being so hungry and not knowing where you're going to eat. But the psalmist knows what he's longing for, and he knows exactly where to find it. And it's why we said place matters. We're circling back to what we said in the beginning. Place matters because the temple is where heaven and earth meet. There's no confusion. God chose to reveal himself in a specific, special way at the temple. Where's the temple for us? If we look at the narrative arc of Scripture, we see that the temple in the beginning was at creation because the heavens, God's space, and the earth, the space of humans, they were overlapping. And so heaven and earth were meeting, but then sin disrupted that union, of course. And then God said, okay, let's start with just this one spot, this temple in Jerusalem. I'm going to make myself specially present here in this place to this people. Then we have Jesus in the Gospel of John saying, actually, I am the true temple. I'm the place where heaven and earth meet. I'm the place where God's presence dwells. 
I'm the center of the universe. In the language of our psalm, he, Jesus, is our sun and shield. Jesus gives favor and honor. We know from the end of the story, the end of the Bible, in Revelation 21, that one day God will make His dwelling place with humans in a fresh way, in a new way. He'll fill the earth with His presence. He'll make everything new. But this story skipped one key piece, because the story of the Bible does not simply go creation, Jerusalem, Jesus, and then God dwelling with and making new everything. That key missing piece Paul would fill with the church. Because when Paul talks temple, he talks church. Now, just like God met with the people on pilgrimage in the Old Testament, God still meets with his people on pilgrimage in the place of the church. The church is the place where God dwells, where his spirit fills everything. And we saw that in our reading today in Ephesians 2, how God takes these jagged stones and malformed things, and He fits them together into a living, breathing place. He breathes His Spirit into it, His life into this gathering. Same thing is said in 1 Peter 2 and 1 Corinthians 3. So, if you're looking for the place for your hunger for God's presence to be satisfied, it's the place where the people of God gather in the name of Jesus. It's the church. This is good news, isn't it? That as we gather as God's people in Christ, those of us who are on pilgrimage can experience the very presence of God, be filled by the presence of God in Jesus, in His Word, read and proclaimed at His table. The very presence of God in Jesus, and we get to encounter and be formed and shaped and experience Him. And this is why we sing so much when we gather, just like the psalm, why our response is singing praises, and why during the week sometimes we just have a longing to come back and experience the presence of the Lord in the gathered community of His people. But for some of us, I'm aware this morning that actually this feels like bad news because your Baca Valley is actually the church, your place of pain and tears maybe confusion. But what if your hunger for God's presence could bring you back to the people of God? The temple's valuable because God's presence is there, and that was God, where God chose to make Himself especially present. And now in the gathered people of God, where God continues to make Himself present in a special way to His people. In our gospel reading, we heard this this morning. That when we gather together in the name of Jesus, He promises that there I am in the middle of your gathering. Because it's God's presence we're ultimately hungry for. Not all those things that we put our hopes in and think, this will fill me up. No, this will fill me up. This will fill me up. And they don't. It's God's presence. God's presence is everything. And we can say, better is one day in your presence, being with you than a thousand doing the other things 
that occupy our minds, our loyalties, our hearts. And in a few minutes, we're going to come to the table. We're going to come where Jesus has promised that he meets us. The actual presence of Jesus, he comes and he's here with us through the Holy Spirit. Now, even in temple worship, there was something special about a table or an altar in the, in the temple where food was sacrificed and sometimes the priest would consume part of that sacrifice. And here we have Jesus' table in our gathering as God's people where he is specially present and he spreads out a feast, an extravagant feast of mercy and grace. And maybe you're in a place this morning in a Baca Valley, a valley of tears, a dry valley. And maybe you need strength this morning to believe that God can bring a spring of water out of a valley of tears because you're on pilgrimage. And fortunately, this is the place where he is specially present to us and that it's in him that all of our deepest longings, our deepest hungers are ultimately filled. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.